Welcome to the podcast of Thank God It's Friday. I'm Richard Glover, and as you may have noticed, our TGIF regular, Tommy Dean, has been missing from our panel. He's back in America for a couple of months. And while we've missed him on TGIF, he's instead been joining us with a weekly letter from America. So if you're keen on catching up with him, stay listening at the end of this podcast for Tommy Dean's Letter from America. But first, this week's TGIF. We would like to advise that the following program may contain adult themes, occasional nudity, and language that may offend some listeners. Thank God it's... Welcome to the Lindley Evans Music Studio at the ABC in Ultimo for another edition of Thank God It's Friday. I'm Richard Glover and this week with the music, it's the cast of the new production of Monty Python's Spamalot! Yeah! And our panel, Gene Kitson, Carlo Ritchie and Mandy Nolan! Yeah! And our audience this week, drawn from Tumut to Roggi, Horsefield Bay, Penrith, Tokyo and Petersham! Uh, but first, as always, here is the news from nowhere. And there's a, a big push on for people to visit regional towns, you know, particularly with uh, tourism affected by the bushfires. Wendy Harmer has been to Mollymook, and my dog Clancy has joined the trend. Here's his latest letter home. Dear Mum and Dad, it's your dog Clancy here. As you know, most of the time I live in the city, in a shallow and materialistic part of Sydney, <laughs> called Sydney. <laughs> This letter, however, finds me in a major inland town called Goulburn. People are much nicer here. Early today, lady went into the Goulburn supermarket while man and I were left waiting in the car park. Here's the thing. I ended up feeling like a rock star. So many people came up for a chat. What's his name? Each person asked. Then, and how old is he? And after that, the compliments would start, with mention made of my two-tone muzzle, the markings above my eyes, and the alert way in which I tilt my head. One man, who at first seemed like a big, gruff fellow, touched my forehead and then offered the observation, you can tell he's gentle just by looking into his eyes. Aww. Well, if dogs could blush, I'd have turned beetroot red. <laughs> Then other people arrived and each person in turn dropped to their haunches and talked about their own dogs and how I reminded them of Ranger or Molly or Scout. And then man would ask questions about Ranger or Molly or Scout and the passerby would tell some heroic tale about their own dog before giving me a final scratch behind the ears. When it comes to a dog's ears, country people know exactly where to scratch. <laughs> One woman stayed for ages, explaining how her husband was a shearer. He'd bought a dog just to keep him company in the wool shed, but the dog only went to work once because the woman decided the wool shed was too hot and dirty. Not for the husband, but for the new dog. <laughs> and after that, she had the dog with her every second of the day, right up to the time the dog died, some 15 years later. And how that loyal, loving dog had kept her safe whenever her husband was away with the shearing and she then bent down and gave me a long kiss on the forehead and told me I was a very good boy which I accepted in the full acknowledgement that this kiss was meant for another. 
By the time Lady came back, Man couldn't wait to list all the people he'd met, especially the Shearer's wife. Then he smiled and said, People are just so friendly around here, they just kept coming up for a chat. No mention, you'll notice, of my role in proceedings. (laughs) A dog, should he not understand, is a well-known magnet for people. A dog is a lightning rod for conversation. A dog is the shortest distance between two humans. Maybe Man already realises this. If not, he should try standing out Woolworths, standing outside Woolworths Goulburn alone with his grey hair and thin lips <laughs> and see how many locals trouble him for his company. <laughs> anyway, once the shopping was packed away, it was time to eat. We dropped into the service station on the edge of town and Lady ordered two hamburgers and we sat at a small table in front of the petrol bowsers. And within seconds, an older couple came up, probably in their early 90s, arm in arm, and both started talking simultaneously, as older couples do. Do you have a dog yourself? asked Lady, and both the elderly folk answered to one. We have three dogs, and then they listed the breeds and the ages and some of their finer qualities in a way that was a little hard to follow as they were both giving the same information at slightly different order at the same time. Despite the stereo sound, they were lovely people with many positive observations to offer in relation to both their own dogs and to yours truly. They wandered off, still arm in arm like young lovers. They were replaced by a kid who came along and scratched my head and didn't stop to talk, and then by the service station man who came and questioned me about whether I was thirsty in any way and then brought me some water in a large metal bowl. Finally, the cook came out of the kitchen and talked to me as well. He didn't have a dog himself, not at that moment, but he really wanted one. A dog, he said, who would look precisely like me. A dog dog was how he put it, a phrase that I felt lacked a little imprecision even though I knew exactly what he meant. Best bit of the story, this man, the cook, brought out the hamburgers, then went back to the kitchen and returned a little later with a plate of chicken pieces that he'd cooked especially for me. (laughs) He said I had to wait a while because I had to let the chicken cool down, as if he owed me an explanation for the slow service. (laughs) Well, man and lady said the hamburgers were the best they'd ever tasted. The same five-star review should certainly be issued in relation to the chicken pieces. (laughs) Tomorrow, we go back to the city. I'm reluctant to leave Goulburn. I find life in regional Australia rather suits me. Love, Clancy. And that's his news from nowhere. And thank you, Goulburn. He thanks you. We had a good time in Goulburn. Uh, we have Jean Kitson, uh, Carlo Ritchie and Mandy Nolan with us. Uh, welcome, and let's check that you're up with this week's news. Who, who, who trumped the opposition this oh, week? Can I, can I jump in? I had so much... Um, it's kind of an ongoing thing. For me. It, was, it was Donald Trump. It was a long-awaited impeachment that had been going on for quite some time. And, of course, as we know... Um, and most people thought he didn't get across the line, although, of course, Mitt Romney, um, the Republican um, senator, did give quite an inspiring speech about um, integrity, um, basically, which um, Donald didn't understand. Uh, <laughs> but and, and, and in saying that, it was this long-run impeachment, and to me, 
you know, we knew it wasn't going to happen, but it was also he was the third president ever to be impeached. And every time I hear the word impeached, I feel like it's some sort of like jam sort of thing. <laughs> like it feels like the, you know, the presidential preserve or some <laughs> sort of Congress conserve that they're making with an impeachment. It, sounds, it doesn't sound bad. Like I'd love to be impeached because I haven't tried it. Um, You're sort of lying in nectar. I know, like lying in a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of exciting sort of doing that. But um, I have to share with you because it's, it, you know, it's the whole Biden it's it's you know it was all around you know his his really his biggest conspiracy theory is the interference with the, the 2016 election because of um basically Joe Biden who was actually doing you know something in was he like sort of he he was the you know well his son doing he, he sent his, his son, son off was, to, yeah well yeah. he wasn't supposed to send his son off but his son was sitting on a board on on a gas board for about four or five years which and, is quite and, painful well, <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine I was going it was barisma but you need a lot of charisma to be on the barisma board but <laughs> he um I thought there has to be another Biden like a daughter like that was Hunter Biden but maybe there's a Laura Biden uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's such a bad joke but I had to put it in but see my mum. <laughs> is obsessed with Donald Trump and she she actually um, texts me one or two times a day about what happens and I knew that after this happened I thought oh, that I can't wait to get mum's text because... But does she hate him or love him? Oh, she hates him and her hate of him keeps her alive. Uh, <laughs> and this is what goes, Hi, darling, such a corrupt, immoral, ego-driven pussy grabber who now has permission to do whatever he likes and his party have bought this about. The dictator in the making with his far-right followers, won't say the next word, the Constitution, as far as they're concerned, loved it when Nancy Pelosi tore up his State of the Union address, so symbolic as to what he's done. However, many missed the symbolism and think Mitt Romney gave an awesome speech to the only, the only Republican to stand for the truth. Love, Mum. <laughs> if, uh, if, if Trump's presidency is keeping your mother alive, she's got another four years' life ahead of her. I know. <laughs> yeah, like, she's got to keep going because yeah. she's up every day. She goes, I get those texts all the time. Oh, you won't believe what mm. he's done now. And I think she means my stepdad. No, it's Donald Trump. But, but, <laughs> but Car- Car- Carlo, he is triumphant at the moment. He, he thinks he's been endorsed. He thinks he's just actually cruising towards oh, victory. Yeah, because he's tweeting, you know, Donald Trump 2024, Donald Trump, you know, mm-hmm. 2018. Well, this, that question is, they say, you know, whether or not he'll be remembered for being impeached or for being acquitted, you know. And, I mean, really, I, I wonder if he'll be remembered at all. You know, in our future island states um, of the greater archipelago of the world, yeah. you know, will we talk about stories of Trump around the fire or will we... But there, there won't be any fire because we'll all be flooded. That's right? true, yeah. No. We'll have solar fires, <laughs> like tiny little cans that will heat our, our future water. I just imagine his head in a jar. You know, is it The Simpsons? No, yeah. not the Futurama where they have the, the leader in the head in the jar. I can just see his head in the jar. He'll just keep going. A good Christmas present um, for your mum. I know. That's the, actually, that would be the impeachment, wouldn't it? A couple of peaches in it. Put yeah. a little lid on the top. Gene, he, uh, he, he, he's loving this, isn't he? He's loving himself. Of course he is. He's loving. Nothing worries him. I was... I, I was a little bit disappointed by Nancy Pelosi ripping up the speech. I think she could have set it on fire and danced around it. <laughs> that would have been more of a spectacle or maybe sat on it or made a pirate hat out of it. I don't even know why she had the speech. She's, it's not like she's following the speech. She didn't follow the bit that went brackets, applause, close brackets, those instructions. She wasn't following that at all. And I guess we're lucky we don't have a have a State of the Union address in Australia. There wouldn't be 
I mean, yeah, we've missed that, which is good. ScoMo would get up there and say the floods will probably put out the fires. And How good is Australia? <laughs> the coronaviruses tank the price of lobsters. Thank you. How good is Australia? Yeah. And uh, who finds themselves in a position to judge men's ability to talk? Judge is the crucial word here. Well, this is a fantastic story. I love this story. I mean, I don't love it. It's a sad story, but it's an an interesting story. This is a story about how men, male barristers, will interrupt female judges. You're all nodding. You know this story. 70% more often than they'll interrupt a male judge. Even when the judge they're interrupting is the Chief Chief Justice Justice of Australia. Exactly. Did exactly. you just interrupt, Jane? <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> well, he didn't, you know, he, he, Richard didn't say, oh, you silly woman, but he might as well have just said, just shut up, Chief. Um, no, this is what they do. They, they interrupt. And, and a female judge, I think they're only trying to help, like Richard was trying to help then, you know, me. You know, they're only trying to help, you know, but really, um, the, you know, the, they might think the female judge was a bit distracted by some online shopping or something. <laughs> or, or maybe um, she, uh, she may deliver a clarification, which is too long for the male barrister's attention yeah. span. <laughs> or he may feel he has to interrupt to, to show that no woman can express something he hasn't already thought of, <laughs> you know, which could bring the law into disrepute. So my, my feeling is that barristers need a bit of training for, you know, how to talk to giddy female judges. <laughs> and I think, first of all, they should roll their eyes and then adopt a really manly, deep, voice that positively massages ears <laughs> and um, secondly they should carry a condom because then they can do those balloon animals in case the female judges you know like getting losing interest or anything like that and don't women love balloon animals? Oh, we'd love them. And, um, and always I think they should always begin by saying something nice about the judges here. <laughs> I was thinking when they did this, they clearly didn't do the, the um, trial, but the actual research wasn't done on Judge Judy. Because <laughs> uh, that, that, exactly. she's just one woman that you just could not want. No, if they did that to Judge Judy, parts of their bodies would end up as earrings. <laughs> so, wouldn't they? Yeah. But some people I mean, say it's, should... a, you know, it's a common story. It happens in business all the time yeah. to women. I suppose the surprise was you'd think that if you rose up through the ranks to be in such an important... It would finally stop, but it doesn't. It's well, systemic. And apparently women uh, get interrupted, obviously, a lot more than men, and not just by men, by other women, but men get rarely interrupted um, by women. And when they do, we're seen as kind of pushy um, and, and painful. What, you? Kind of, I, know, I know, I know, it's hard to believe. And it, it is part of that mansplaining culture, isn't it, of, like, being told, you know, look, I'll tell you what to do. And I do, my ex-husband, my second one, he, because I've had three, so mm. I, I've got, like, a There'll collection. be a spreadsheet available afterwards. <laughs> So you can work out Mandy's various husbands and the various offspring. So he he was a classic mansplainer. Like, he could not wait for me to finish. Like, I'd start a sentence and he'd finish it because he was going, oh, we've been here. (laughs) But I do remember telling him I wanted a divorce. 
Um, and I got halfway through and he, he told me how I should do it. Um, <laughs> which was really efficient. Did he interrupt your wedding vows? Um, no, no, he wasn't really. Well, no, he didn't because, you know, it's only two words. He forgot them. <laughs> it is interesting, actually. I, when I was teaching sociolinguistics as a tutor at the uni, we did a course Social, on this. Social what? Sociolinguistics. Um, linguistica socio, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> is the Harry Potter spell, I think. Um, you know, sociolinguistics... Because we taught a uh, one of the parts of the course we were teaching was on this phenomenon and how how it's been documented for a very, very long time. There's been a lot of studies since even the seventies into how much men interrupt women. And what was really interesting is if I got a group of three women and put one guy into them, and I they had literally just done the lecture on how men interrupt women more. <laughs> and you would say, okay, we're going to do a problem now. You guys are going to look at this photograph and analyze it in terms of its its representation of women. And they've just come out of the lecture where they've been told that men interrupt more and then they'd finish the exercise and they'd all be looking happy and go, and who spoke more in that exercise? And they'd go, oh, no, it was you. And all point to the one guy in their group of three. Do you know the whole time you are talking, I so wanted to interrupt you. <laughs> I wanted to be that woman. Go for um, Sorry. All right, last question from this week's news. Who's proved that human beings fall into a groove when they're getting into a groove? Um, well, this was a, a really interesting study from Finland. Um, Correct, yes. Uh, home of the groove. And <laughs> they found that people's dance moves are as uh, unique as a thing- fingerprint. Yeah. Um, and whatever, it, whatever dance style they're doing, they could be doing, one person could be doing jazz or, or, or whatever, yeah. and you can t- the computer can tell what person that that's, is. That's right, yeah. They programmed this computer to see if it could tell the difference between individuals if they were doing a different dance, and it didn't matter what the style of music was. It'd go, oh, yeah, that person moves their hand in a particular way every time they dance. Um, so I can only imagine that this is going to lead to how we start having to unlock our phones, um, how high, high security <laughs> bank vaults will be unlocked. You know, Gorn will be the retina scans and we'll just start having to dance. Dance, um, yeah. So if you were in front of the ATM yeah. in Glen Innes trying to get out some money, Carlo, what would you have to do well, to convince as, the computer? Oh, for the people who are listening at home, right now I'm doing an incredible tango. Um, <laughs> we've got the microphone rigged up and people are gasping in awe. Um, just the, it's a pretty clear example of how that would go down. It, it is a great way of doing it because you imagine the police pulling you over and asking you to do the nut bush yeah. uh, just to see or if you know instead of a line up you do like you do like a line dancing line up it's yeah. weird because everyone does have their you only have to see J-Lo and Shakira at the Super Bowl to see imagine that their signature moves are quite impressive uh, what's your what's your uh, signature move uh, I dance better alone because I um I don't dance well with partners I dance better at, at at home alone. That's really good for identity open. theft. Yeah, it is really good. Cool. You just have to look through. I kind, of, I kind of move around a little bit too much. I think I'm quite subtle, but then I see a video back and it's not subtle. Um, I'm all upper body. I can't do that. I think I've been, I do a Zumba class. It's really hard to do that kind of, you know, the kind of, you know, where you kind of tilt your, what's it called? Like Tilting pelvic thrust? Pelvic. It's like pelvic thrust. But is that what you were trying to... special name for it. Oh, is it? I don't think I can say it on air, though. Uh, <laughs> it's called the doing the Elvis pelvis. Well, it's kind of like the that, Elvis but it's very pelvis, hard. Yeah. That, that's harder as you get, you know, that's very young generation identity. But well, you could put your back out As you get now. older, you dance more from the top. Like, there comes a point where you're just, like, using your hands. Uh. <laughs> like you're just dancing with your eyes. Yeah. 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 In the sidelines, just sort of having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know how you said you thought the... It was interesting that that um, this research came from Finland, the home of the groove. Mm. Well, I, I I thought this research was weird coming from. 
Finland because I don't know how they can dance in snowshoes mm. and carrying an elk. Gives- I mean, like, <laughs> does fin- do Finnish people dance, do they? It gives you real real quality of form, you know. You get really strong calves from loping around those <laughs> snow oh, yeah. and then So that when you, when you were released from them, you're like a gazelle. Yeah. Sort of skipping across the room. You're light as a feather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're on firm ground. And yeah, I think it'll lead to some really interesting uh, identity, you know, lineups in police stations. They'd have to bring in a DJ and some Ekkies and lots of <laughs> bottles of water. But, you know, like, can you identify this person? <laughs> it would be really, but it's, it's interesting. And I think we all learn to dance when we're young, right? You know how you learn all the music, you know, the words to is when you're young and you hear it over and over again. And I think. We get our we get our style when we're mm. young, mm. and we it's like learning to smoke. You just do it until you know, like you don't choke anymore or pass out, or you just do it till it looks natural and you don't break your leg. Mm. So, so, what's your signature move? Jean? I I don't know. I, my dance style is a cross between um, skinheads and one of those bendy men you see outside <laughs> car yards. It's a bit of hippie, a bit of skinhead. Because I learned to dance at Tomcats, which was a skinhead. Dance club down at Rosebud. What? Yeah, and but then I'm a bit of a hippie, so yeah. So I look like a bendy man at the footy with a bit of elbow <laughs> like this, like a skinhead. And I did that. I would have learned that would have been ingrained in my DNA. You know, my footloose. So one of the DNA. windy bendy men, but on a really aggressive day. Yeah, yeah. I look like an urgent. Buy <laughs> there's a gale coming through. Yeah. Buy something or else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We have Jean Ketson, Carla Ritchie and Mandy Nolan on TJF. And, you know, Adam's news headlines were all full of drought and flames and coronavirus. And, look, the, the virus is scary enough, but actually it's the masks that are really freaking people out in Sydney, whether they're used for bushfire smoke or the virus. How could we redesign the P2 masks to make them more fun and festive? Jean. Well, I looked for, uh, online at the P2 masks and there's a lot of variety. There's also a lot of attractive young models wearing them as if that's going to make it any better, but they they look terrible. But um, a P2 respirator mask with a valve yeah. is $83.95 online and it seems to be this hard plastic thing with a hole or a valve in the middle, possibly for a snorkel. I'm not sure. You could fit out some of those male barristers with that. Yeah. <laughs> Might slow them down. Yeah, just tape <laughs> Put a bit of gaffer over the hole for the male barristers. But you could pimp this type of mask quite easily, I think. You know, in the Second World War, when all the kids were given gas masks and things, they often had they had Mickey Mouse on them and things like that. Mm. So it's not a new idea. That's the spirit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's Mickey and there's the bombers, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> but um, in peacetime, we could fit our mask up as, especially when you look at this hard plastic one, I thought, as like Hannibal Lecter. That'd be fun. <laughs> you know, I was trying to reduce the fear, not increase it. No, but don't you think it'd be amusing on the bus with a soundtrack, you know, <laughs> like a few fava beans and a little bottle of Chianti? Well with your dance moves, Jean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be too freaky by far. But you could do a Darth Vader on them. Yeah, you could, yeah. You could sort of make a full mask and do the full Darth Vader, although no one could understand what you say. You know, because no one understands what Darth Vader says. So you can never, like, rob a bank as Darth, in a Darth Vader mask because no one would understand. I'm going to the money. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. Um, the Dark Knight, I looked online at The Dark Knight Rises, you know, the B- Bane, that mask. Mm-hmm. 
That that's what the one with all the these sections that look like they're you know for your nangs and party drugs. So that'd be fun, <laughs> you know. Like, uh, no, not really. Um, so I, but the, I love the, that you just said nang. Uh, do you? Yeah, yeah. yeah but just, you that's know. used with the straight talk of yeah, drug yeah. Lingo. Well, yeah. I just it looked like them because I've seen them. I've Manny seen didn't them. use no. The term was used outside Mullumbimby. Uh, no, I did it. Well, yeah, we got a lot of nangs. Uh, Craig, how, how, Carla, how are we going to try to make these masks less scary looking? I wondered if the, the two solutions I came up with is whether you could get them to be printed to look like your own face. Um, hey. So oh. it would just look like you had a, a kind of bulbous jaw for that particular day. Oh. Or they could be made to look like a beard. Um, so you just for, you could sport yeah. quite a <laughs> rotund beard around yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. Why not a tattoo? Like, why not a big facial tattoo? So if you actually get a facial tattoo and then you just continue it there. Continue it into the mask. Yeah. Or you could have like animal, I was thinking of animal bums. Because you know animal like bums. M- monkey bums yeah. and like <laughs> really. Oh, you've swallowed a monkey. Oh no, it's a mask. <laughs> like the cat, like the cat from behind, yeah. kind of yeah. with the tail. That yeah. would make me laugh. Or your own <laughs> bum and then you'd be secret. talking out your Hey, you ready for the Wheel of Death, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah, yeah, we are. Carla Ritchie is taking it on each week. Our lovely audience come and throw these random topics onto this chocolate wheel. And today's topics are uh, AFP, you know, the federal Australian Federal Police. Uh, cru- uh, cruising, what? Cruise, what's that? Cru- cruising. Cruising, all right. New, do you oh, got bad handwriting, Carla? <laughs> new, new normal. New normal. Oh. Uh, uh, Japanese food and gardens, mud pies, thaw, paper, curly hair, Trump's smile, chocolate, cockroaches, quarantine and sewing and umbrellas. Which, which ones fill you full of fear? Trump's smile. Um, but that's just a general note, not so much the theme. <laughs> Maybe we could get a really scary coronavirus mask which would look like Trump. <laughs> really freak people out. Round and round and round it goes where it stops. No one knows today's topic is Thor. Who suggested Thor. Oh, who's, everyone. Who's, everyone who's guilty? Did, yeah. so someone did. Thor. All right. Thor. Thank you very much, uh, Thor. Um, for those listening at home, uh, they're probably unaware that I am much like an Adonis in every respect of the word. <laughs> Here I stand in front of the TGIF audience glistening. Uh, I don't even wear uh, a shirt to TGIF. Um, I would hate for the audience to miss out on what is one rocking bot, um, <laughs> as it's been described. I don't have a six-pack, I have a 12-pack. Every muscle defined and every muscle tattooed with a bit of the Communist Manifesto. Um, It's a real sight to see. And a lot of people, they ask me, how do I get this body? Um, Well, the solution is what I call the Thor routine. What I do is I take a a hammer. I call it uh, Mitharandia, the lightning god. Uh, I take a hammer. It weighs about 700 kilos. And I do about four reps on either side, um, pretending that I'm fighting the... Uh, the vanguard of Asgard. Um, Now, this is very important for any workout routine, is you need to have an opponent. Um, For a long time, I've I've suggested people may suggest a family member they don't get along with, or someone from the office uh, who they don't enjoy the company of, or perhaps just a stranger you might pass in the street. Picture their face and hold it tight and grab your workout hammer. You can buy them from my website, www.carloisthor.com.au. 
grab your workout hammer, picture that face, and just do as many reps as you can, picturing yourself casting them asunder back into the world of mortal men. Um, it's worked great for me, uh, and a big part of it is diet. They say abs are made in the kitchen, um, and in the kitchens of Asgard, there are all kinds of wonderful treats. What I like to start the day with is about 24 raw eggs. Um, this means that I have to have 24 raw chickens, and by raw chickens, I mean alive. Um, <laughs> Always laying, always having fun, all of them with wonderful names. Uh, there's Little Cluxor and Johnny Come Cluxy. Um, all of them wonderful friends. And we, we get together every Friday for story night. And uh, let me tell you, story night with 24 chickens is pretty raucous. Um, if you haven't had one, you haven't lived. Um, 24 raw eggs, and that's all I eat. Um, I then fast for 12 hours and then top it off with a whole pig. Um, not to eat, we just have a great banter. Um, and I find that not only fulfilling mentally, but also filling in the body. Um, and that's how, with just a little bit of perseverance and quite a productive farm, you can have a body like Thor, and I hope you all try it. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, Thor, Richie. Oh, thank God it's Friday. Did he die? Did he die? No. Did he live? He lived. John, oh, thank God it's Friday. Uh, we have Gene Kitson, Carlo Ritchie and Mandy Nolan here on TJF. Now, there was focus this week on what one advocate for Western Sydney has called postcode prejudice. The idea that when you reveal where you're from, people form assumptions. It's not only Western Sydney. One caller this week to the radio from Scotland Island says that people assume he's a swinger due to rumours about what went on on Scotland Island in the 1970s. So what are the assumptions about the various places in which you've lived? Mandy Nolan. I knew you were going to do that because of the assumption. Um, 2482. Obviously, Molenbembe has one is that I don't vaccinate. Um, and I actually do. And now I've said that all the people at home who don't vaccinate are going to send me hate mail um, because I was pretending I didn't vaccinate. But, you know, you have to sort of... Crystal, I put crystals on the car. And spots on your kids. And, yeah, and spots. It's kind of, you know... It's, we have a whooping cough... We have a whooping cough season. We have... Um, I think anywhere where there's a season, you've got to be careful. Um, it's, we don't worry about the coronavirus um, because it won't have a chance of, of getting in there with everything else. So there's that. And also um, that I'm a pot-smoking hippie, which is kind of true because... I am um, <laughs> a pot smoking hippie. So that's been some of the, you know... That's so it's not postcode prejudice, it's postcode accuracy. Well, it's yeah, it's kind of, you know, it, it is a little bit prejudice. People do form kind of value judgments based on, you know, that you're a bit loose, basically, if you live there, which... <laughs> and, and you're a member of a cult. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are there cults? Oh, there's heaps of cults. Like, we yeah. love cults. We've got... Um, you oh, know, so that's a truth. Yeah, it's yeah. quite true. There's a lot of people you can't call after nine because they're not allowed to answer the phone because it's part of the cult rules. Like, you know... One, one person sent me an email. She was really cranky because I'd written something about the cult and it came in at 9.30pm and I just sent back, hello, aren't you supposed to be in bed? Uh, <laughs> if you're in a cult, you should know your cult rules um, pretty well. So that's kind of part of the prejudice, I think, of, of, of living there and that you've kind of dropped out. Um, which makes it hard to get a loan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you can still do it. So, yeah, that's, that's the basic. It, a lot of people do. 
Everyone wants the postcode. I was in Byron too. Byron's different. It's 2481. That's mm-hmm. where all the famous people, that's the, that's the Hemsworth yeah. postcode. So now. what's the image of people in Byron? Instagram, very beautiful. Um, generally, you've got to go to the beach once or twice a you know, a day. Uh, you have to do yoga on the beach. you just got to get your tide charts right because you don't want to get hit by an incoming tide <laughs> halfway through your cobra. Um, you do have to, I guess, do, you know, it really is, like, you, you've got to get down there on the beach. With, you've got to have attractive children. If you've got ugly children, you've got to keep them in the car uh, <laughs> because they're not going to look, or slightly out of shot, like slightly, you know, little fat ones out of shot. Um, you've got to be able to, your kids have to have, you know, they're going to be called things like wolf and they need, like, little amber beads and cute little things and they're always in making you look like kind of like there's a lot of hot mums it was in the Vanity Fair article you yeah. know where there's a lot of hot mums everywhere um not in Mullumbimby there's a lot of old hot mums but they're angry and menopausal different sort of hot mum um, so that is that that is and it, it's it's not just an image it actually really is true every it's very kind of you know there's a lot of influences there, whereas where I live, only 15 minutes away, people, a lot of people under the influence. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how it moves Richie, what, what's, a, what's a postcode prejudice about the various places you've lived? Well, I mean, it's funny. I live in a, like, my hometown of Glen Innes, every town has its own town that we have the same rumours about, right? So Glen Innes will say that people from Emmerville are all, you know, like for lack of a better word, there's a lot of inbreeding and things like that. But then people from Armadale will say that about people from Glen Innes and then people about Tamworth will say that about people from Armadale. So it's, it's perpetually yeah. smaller towns, is Yeah, it? it's like a babushka doll of prejudice. Yeah. So, who are the people, so who are the people in Emmerville saying are inbred? Oh, I must be uh, Bonshaw, I suppose. Yeah. But who are the people in Bonshaw saying? It must be those damn people down there at Ashfield, yeah. I guess. Yeah. No, I'm just wondering, is there some individual bloke in a shed who is the ultimate... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it gets... Well, it's Gary, yeah. Yeah, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I imagine... That, I mean, there must be somebody at the end of the line yeah. who's just there waiting, you know. And you've got a town of, like, three inbred people and they're saying, oh, no, it's not us, mate, it's Gary. Yeah, yeah. wait till you see Gary on the other side of the creek. Once you get over there to 23701. Yeah, that's right. That's what it was like around my way when I was growing up. I grew up in a town called Sorrento on the Mornington Peninsula and and we were the tradies. Um, the tra- the, we were the service... We serviced Portsea, which were the rich people. So the rich people lived in Portsea and Sorrento was seen as the service people. Mm-hmm. So the rich, rich people had gardeners and, and cleaners and Sorrento were the gardeners and cleaners. And then, <laughs> and then, but then we looked down on Tutkarook, like, you know, and Rye, and Rye was just Bogan, you know, so the Portsiats would look down on Sorrento, Sorrento would look down on Rye, Rye would look down on Rosebud. That was out oh God, of the, Rosebud. Rosebud would look down on Dramana. But then and Dramana Dram- would look down on Gary. It's still back to Gary. <laughs> but when you're a comedian and you're touring, one of the things you ask when you go into country towns, and it's such a stock joke, because you have to find out what's the town that everyone hassles. And if you get it wrong, it's terrible. Like the room, they just turn on you straight away, particularly if, you know. Cause so you've got to know. Yeah, you've got to know the town. Cause if you've you got to know the one that everyone picks yeah, on because if right. you pick on the wrong one, yeah, like in, in Canberra you say Queanbeyan, don't you? Yeah. Mm. You or something? I think so. Well, maybe I got that wrong. Everyone just went quiet then. <laughs> I think I got it wrong. Yeah, it's a bit like kicking the cat. It's kind of a bit wrong because you're usually always kicking a lower socioeconomic group. Well, see, um, to feel you're kind of that yeah. slightly one up to feel slightly better than, and sometimes you do get to a point where there just isn't anyone. 
Um, Except Gary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, see what Gary hates in... his cat, I'll tell you what. <laughs> in Dramana, they had no one to look down on because then the next town started getting rich again. <laughs> so that was oh. Mount Martha. And then every... so you... they were in the middle of all this, yeah. But yeah, I... now Sorrento, of course, is posh, isn't it? Posh is, posh is anything now. Yeah, yeah. My mum had the first coffee shop and now there are 48 or something like that. I know. She should have hung on to that. You she should have hung on to that and we could have been rich. We could have been making coffees. <laughs> Coffee could have been, I could have been an empire, the Kitson Coffee Empire, starting in Sorrento. But you know what about postcode prejudices? I don't, I don't. You know what it is that really gets me? The postcode prejudice prices, the prices oh, that yes, come yeah. with. Because my car back window had a problem, so I took it to the people around me, and they 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 gave me this enormous quote to fix the back window and then I went to suburbs like an hour and a half away and it was a sixth of the price Mm. and I think the people around me had looked at the window and then when they looked at the window in six suburbs away and gave me a sixth of the price um, when they looked at it they said no one had looked at it before that, no one had actually looked to see what the problem, they'd just given me a quote Yeah so they reckon when a tradesman turns up to a Sydney property they they charge you not according to the job but according to your postcode Yeah, yeah. It's probably an app for tradies. So yeah, you just yeah. pump in your suburb and yeah. it just adds the extra onto yeah. it. So yeah. if, if you're in Bellevue Hill, that's If quite you're in Willara, they, they add as many O's as, as is in the name. That's right. <laughs> that's what they do. Uh, the be, the best thing when we were talking about on the radio actually was all these people who rang up who'd managed somehow, you know, they were from Penrith and they'd married someone from Mossman, something like that. And they said there was always, uh, when, when, they, when, when they went to a party and people would say, oh, where you uh, Oh, and your husband's from. Haven't you done well? People would say. <laughs> Is that what they said to the? I mean, Mossman's not that bad, guys. You know? <laughs> Good on them for getting out. You know. Uh, now fires in Australia, coronavirus spreading as we speak. Now reported this week, swarms of locusts in East Africa. What further evidence have you seen that the world is ending this week, Jean Kitson? There is a plague of bats in Ingham. <laughs> so what exactly? You know Ingham, do you? No, I just found that a very got, funny the way you said Thank it, you. It sounded like, a, yeah. like it was like you were foretelling, like you were giving some sort of warning. It's a fact. There are bats, a plague of bats, if that's not a portentous omen of it the is. end of the world. And do you know what really is? There are, there, you know, these are, there's thousands of bats in Ingham. They're the rats of the air. And, the, and there are some malicious people people who live upwind or a long way away who want to protect these bats. <laughs> now, if that isn't the end of the world, when people start protecting bats, next they'll be protecting red bats and the typhoid <laughs> bacteria, and then that's the end of the world. And the other indication that it's the end of the world is that I was in a taxi the other day and he was incredibly cheerful. And, <laughs> and he loved his job. And he said that um, the drivers in Sydney were um, really good and polite. And I just started sobbing. And I, <laughs> I ran home and told my family I loved them. I didn't know what was going on. All right. That's in Ingham. Uh, uh, friendly taxi drivers. Uh, locusts in East Africa. What are the other signs that the world is coming to an end? Carlo? Well, fireflies are in danger of extinction because of tourism. Um, so due to like people going to see fireflies, everybody wants to catch them. They've just been killing so many fireflies. And also uh, a lot of them live in mangroves and the boats that go in to show tourists the fireflies are eroding the banks that grow the trees that 
allow the yeah. fireflies to And also the bats eat the fireflies yes. if the fireflies disappear. So, oh, that would be good, though. Huge, huge firefly population in Ingham. So it starts to, <laughs> to check out. Mandy, what are the signs the world is coming to an end? I really like bats. Uh, I actually have bats. <laughs> Not personally bats, but we, I have, like, we have about... She's basically Natasha from the Adams family. They're not my bats, but they're from down the road. And there's about 30, 40. There's a giant colony that flies over um, my house every night, which Mm. I kind of love. They make that strange flapping sound, don't they? Yeah, and they come in quite low. One goes out first because it it kind of – they have the direction finders and then the other ones go and there's always one that's kind of like – just lost its lost its mind and it hits <laughs> hits the car, yeah, you know, or it's it's somewhere. Yes, yes, it's yeah, obviously yeah. gone a little bit kind of haywire. So you know, there is that. I don't know. For me, I think the fact the mullets come back uh, <laughs> is a sign that there is no future, there is no hope. <laughs> They've gone. We can't think of another. It has become style. quite popular suddenly. Hasn't it's really it? popular. Young people have it, and they have it like really young. You know, when young people have a mullet, that it's over. Uh, that they're bringing back puffy what, sleeves. What, puffy what do you think they mean by it? I think they've got nothing else to bring back. Uh, and I think we've run out of ideas with the haircut if you bring them back the mullet. And I actually found myself looking at the mullet thinking, that looks quite good. Uh, and then I went, no, that's not good. Um, you know, I was looking at some of the fashion. Do your fashion. kids ask you your view before they get a new hairdo? No, mother never asked my view. It's bizarre. They always ask me. And, I mean, Mandy and I don't know each other really and very they well. Do. And they, they're always calling me up and asking, what should we do with our hair? Yeah. Well, today. <laughs> Glad you've answered. I think facial tattoos. Like, I think if you're getting a neck and facial tattoo, I think you've really got no sense of a future. <laughs> <laughs> it's really... But maybe in the future everyone will have neck and... And apologies to anyone with neck and facial tattoos. But um, I think if you're doing that, yet yeah, clearly you, you're not really seeing yourself working yeah. in the next you're, 10 years. Or you're just seeing a future so riddled with the coronavirus that you'll have yeah, a mask on anyway. Yeah, mask at all. Who are the winners and losers of this week? Mandy Nolan. Well, I had um, Kirk Douglas as, the, as a winner, cause, not because he died, but he made it to 103, which is pretty impressive. Um, and it's my favourite my favorite comedy story, which I'll tell very quickly, which is um, it's the classic story of his son, Eric Douglas, who was the brother of Michael Douglas. Not very good, terrible stand-up comic. He's, this is comedy folklore, you know this story. He's in London. He's doing a gig at the London sort of, you know, comedy club. And he's dying and he gets really angry and he and you know the whole story of Spartacus. He's dying right? on stage. He's dying on stage, yeah. actually dying. He did die later. But you know, the story of Spartacus, etc. You know, what yeah. happens with the I am Spartacus thing. So he gets angry and he goes, You don't know who I am. I am Kirk Douglas's son. And then a heckler stood up and went, No, I am Kirk Douglas's son. My favourite heckle story ever. So every time I think of Kirk Douglas. So the audience so much funnier than the act. Yeah, and it is. That's kind of like a legendary kind. So that he, he is the – and the loser for me um, is actually the guy in the library yesterday. It was the guy – I don't know when talking in the library became a thing, um, but he talked the entire time about having his tree removed um, from council on the phone in the library. Oh, that's no good. That's I know, not right. I was getting real – I was really angry in the library and that's not a nice feeling because oh. you can't say anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can say shh. I, I, yeah, that's, that, that's the most passive-aggressive sound to make. It sounds like air's coming out. Like, it is. Like, shh. 
like you deflate it, yeah. You Who don't does he think be... he was? A male barrister, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Uh, uh, Carlo, who were the winners and losers of this week? Um, I had as uh, the loser was an apartment building in Kerala in India where their w- fresh water taps this week started pouring alcohol, a mixture of rum <laughs> and brandy, um, because uh, illegal alcohol sales had, had dumped 60... Thousand litres of alcohol just outside of town and had gone into the main water supply. Um, so they were trying to have showers and just getting covered in whiskey and things. Um, uh, you know, it could be a could be a winner in some some respects as well. Yeah, yeah and, and my winner was um, the marsupials thirty kilometres from Mary War. Um, who have had a well dug for them by wombats. Some wombats have dug a 20 mil deep, a 20 meter deep uh, well, and it's being visited by emus and wallabies and birds Aww. and all sorts who are getting this water at this um, uh, 20 meters down. Yeah, wow. thank you, wombats. Yeah. Lovely That's little wombats. Beautiful story. The diggers of Australian nature. Who were the winners and losers, well, well, Gene? isn't so good because I thought my loser would be me because I, when I was here I got a new, I opened my new packet of floss and it dropped in the toilet <laughs> and, and I quickly snatched it out thinking the three second rule might apply and then I thought, no, maybe not, maybe not but you know, it takes a while to get remember to buy your floss, doesn't it? You know, so I'll have to go back to the garden and get some sticks and the winner is, the winners are of course all those who wanted rain and got it. Yeah, there yeah. it is. Please thank Gene Kitson, Carlo Ritchie, and Manny Nolan. <laughs> Thanks for being part of Thank God It's Friday. Next week we'll have Chris Ryan, Subby Valentine, and Rebecca De Unamuno. Music from Gilbert and Sullivan's HMS Pinafore in the Hayes Theatre production. Put the TGIF page into your search engine to grab your free tickets. Until then, I'm Richard Glover. Thank God It's Friday, and please thank the cast, Gene, Carlo, and Mandy. Now, with a special Letter from America with Tommy Dean. It's now time for another Letter from America with Tommy Dean as our TGIF regular returns home so his Aussie son can experience life in the Dean homeland. But after two decades down under, can Tommy ever fit back in? Oh, Tommy, how's it going? It is crazy town. Oh, my goodness. is an excitement on the wind this week. Uh, when I left you last week, uh, we were contemplating the loneliness of watching the Super Bowl by myself. Yeah, it was, a, it it was a very out. sad. People were quite worried about you. Well, they should just know that everything worked out great. Uh, my son got really sick. So he couldn't go out, so we stayed home and watched the game together. <laughs> and you can't, but you kind of must be snowed in at this time of year as well. So over the weekend, uh, we were at 17 degrees, absolutely unseasonally delightful. And then on Monday, uh, which, as most of you know, is the day after Sunday, <laughs> boom, it was minus five and snowing uh, such that they cancelled they cancelled school. Aren't they used to snow? Don't you have snow all the time in Illinois? They get it regularly, but I am now convinced that no one likes snow. No one knows how to live in it. And this was a crazy snow. Like, I've never, I don't know snow very well, uh, but this was almost like, it was like it was snowing salt. 
<laughs> except not salt or it wouldn't have stuck. You Aren't you required kind of by law to clean the snow off the pavement outside your place of residence? Yes, you are. Uh, in fact, I have a shovel specifically designed for that purpose. And you'd be surprised what they call it, snow shovel. Mm. And have snow you actually been doing it? Or what, what happens if you uh, Yeah, you have to keep your, um, your front porch and your steps clear. And because of the services, uh, mostly the mailman, you're supposed to keep it clear because the mail in this country, and this is not to take a shot at Aussie Post, uh, they deliver six days a week. They bring stuff straight to your door, and they will pick up letters from your house. Really? And deliver them to where you want them to go. You see, I had and, my doubts about America under Trump, but now I realize it's the land of the free. That is fantastic. Especially if you want to write letters to your senator to vote for the impeachment process in the proper way. <laughs> you have a stock of stamps, do you? And so when the postman comes, the post person comes to the door, you can hand back letters, can you? Yeah, you buy them by the roll. Uh, you just buy a roll of stamps and uh, you just send stuff out. You just put it in your mailbox. You don't have to like be there to greet them. But if they find any mail in your mailbox, they take it and then leave you the mail that they brought for you. And a perfect circle is complete. Isn't that great? But in order to be sure that they're safely assured passage to your mailbox, uh, you have to keep the path clear. So you are, I don't think it's technically a law, but it's good neighborhood etiquette to keep your front side uh, footpath clear. And then I saw a delightful thing. A young man uh, from the neighborhood, uh, what's quite common to do is salt the path with a special sort of rock salt that makes snow melt. I think it's made of fire. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the science of salt and ice, but they just come along and, and salt the. It literally looks like he's seasoning a very long bowl of soup. He just walks down, shaking salt everywhere, and stuck my head out and asked him what he was doing. He told me, he said, Oh, I like salt. So I said, Oh, is that a thing that you do to raise money? I said, You know, do you want like you know, $5 or something for the service? He said, Oh, no, it's just good community spirit. I just like to make sure that. Everyone's paths are clear, so he's he's like Johnny Salty Seed. Wow, how old's he? How's the kid? Like like, like ten, maybe. So this 11. is this is real. You know, we've, we've talked about some bad things about America, the lack of washing lines, for instance. But this is the good side of small town America, isn't it? It seemed quite delightful. He has like literally like a backpack full of salt, and then he would just walk down the path, and he like you know shake his pack. He like wore his backpack on his front, mm. and had like it was like a salt shaker backpack. And he was just doing it to be a good citizen. Being a good citizen. See, now I know about that and the mail pickup. I'm just thinking America's great. They have their moments. Sometimes, though, they get a little rambunctious. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the local team, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, who are from Missouri, uh, by the way, which I'm sure you got big news about. The president tweeted that uh, good on you for representing Kansas. <laughs> which is a completely different state. <laughs> I didn't hear that. He got it wrong, did he? Oh, he got it totally wrong. Well, Kansas City, to be fair, Kansas City is, there's Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri, and they both sit together like a circle on the border of Kansas and Missouri. Mm -hmm. So it's an easy mistake to make. Uh, but most people never make that mistake because nothing happens in Kansas. <laughs> so, Kansas City, Kansas is not a place that anybody goes ever. Uh, so Kansas City, Missouri is the Kansas City in terms of the barbecue, the barbecue sauce, and the football team that the president maligned. Misplaced, I think. Well, deeply misplaced. <laughs> Way to represent the state of Kansas. 
It's like, oh, no, they're probably going to get hurt by a Florida hurricane now, too, if you yeah. don't get down. He's, he's going to get a whiteboard out and then a marker, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Change the border. Uh, but they had a big parade, which was uh, great fun. But no one can ever have a sports parade in America without trouble. So somebody decided that it would be fun to drive their car uh, into the into the parade route, like they were where all the stuff was moving down through the parade. So this car tried to join the procession. Uh, but since it didn't belong in the procession, uh, the police instantly swooped on the car mm. and stopped the car. And you can find a video of it, look it up, because it's great fun. Uh, literally, you know, tw- 20 deep crowds standing behind, you know, like little wire fences that they put up to create parade routes. But, you know, this big parade group of people all in football jerseys and yelling and screaming excitement for their winning team and all of a sudden there's nine cops with their guns out pointing it at this guy (laughs) but seemingly no notice that there's hundreds of people right behind where their guns are pointing i mean you talk about the the town's called alton illinois small town america Do, do, do they have much crime they don't talk about it a lot. I'm going to say no. It's an occasional little, uh, it's always small time stuff. You know, there's like little robberies of corner stores. and But the problem is everybody knows everybody, generally speaking, and they get identified. <laughs> they get identified very quickly. But we had one, the most terrible one uh, recently. It was tragic. It's always tragic, but uh, I love the way life deals with tragedy. Uh, a man was murdered, an older man, a 65 year old gentleman, uh, was found dead in his home. Uh, foul play was suspected. Uh, but they wouldn't release who it was. And three days later, uh, the headline of the newspaper said, homicide victim identified, it was Larry. <laughs> I, I shouldn't laugh, but as no, you say, but, tragic. But, yeah, it was so everyone would know, oh, okay, oh, Larry. Oh, oh Larry. No, yeah. not Larry. Oh, man. So that's the definition of a small town, isn't it? Uh, and they, they don't always get these sorts of celebrations right either. Celebration is the wrong word. Uh, commiserations is the right word that I wanted there. Uh, we were at the basketball game. Asher's high school had a basketball game on Tuesday night. And uh, tragically, uh, there had been an incident in the school family. Someone had been injured in a car accident. And they wanted a moment of silence and prayer for the student in question. Mm-hmm. Oh, which is fine uh, and delightful. The school community coming together. So for 30 seconds, there's a little quiet moment of reflection and prayer for the hopes of this person getting well. And then literally, literally, as the moment of silence ends, the guy says, Who wants to play some basketball? <laughs> Funny to watch the crowd try to change gears. Oh, that was so sad. And yes, we do want to play some basketball, but we maybe take another second. You're living in America because people keep on saying, why is Tommy there? You're living in America so that your kid can have the experience of, of playing American sport and being in an American high school like his dad was some time ago. And, and that's what's taking you back. Is, is he enjoying? Is he enjoying the high school? Is he enjoying the sport? Oh, he loves it. It is because it's the excitement that doesn't exist, I think, in Australian high school sport. In fact, I don't think I, I had limited touch with it, but, you know, here it is just as exciting at a small town local level as it is at the professional level. Like, you know, he's playing in a basketball arena. The gym is huge. Uh, there's never less than three or 400, 500 people come to these games. The wow. stadium is full. This, this, this is to watch a school game, right? It's just to watch a school game between two small schools. All the parents, all the friends, a lot of the locals come out just for the fun of a Friday night at the, at the basketball stadium. Uh, both teams have cheerleaders, so there's cheerleaders back and forth. 
there's dance clubs at halftime. There's uh, shots. Crowd get to do basketball shots to win money at halftime. Uh, my favorite part, they actually come running out to big, blaring rock and roll music. In fact, I got myself in trouble, I think, uh, because the, the opening song of that is uh, Thunderstruck by ACDC. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Aussie, I like to, Aussie pride, man. Yeah. I think I like to believe that was put in there to honor my son. <laughs> and then the next song is some unidentifiable death metal track that is just like, it's like really hard, hard rock. And I like hard rock, but this is hard rock. And this is a small Catholic school. So I was quite shocked uh, to hear this as part mm. of their warm up music. Like devil's music, really. Well, that's what I thought. But then I turned to the guy behind me and I, I said to him, I said, uh, do you think they play this because it was Jesus's favorite song? <laughs> no wonder you've got no one to watch the football <laughs> with. Well, it's a Catholic school. I thought they'd appreciate it. <laughs> See, I think you've developed subversive Australian sense of humor in your 20 years here. And uh, it's just not going to go down. So I think there is no doubt. I, I like the undertone joke and it is not playing well here at all. <laughs> So they all think Ash is terrific, but that weird father of his. Yeah, why does he always have to talk? <laughs> Can't he just enjoy the game? You mentioned the cheerleaders. Are the cheerleaders boys and girls or just girls? What, what are they like? Uh, they are hilarious. They are everything you've ever seen in cheerleaders, in every cheerleading movie you've ever seen. Our team has no boys. They are not uh, disqualified, uh, but we do not have any on the squad. Uh, and I don't want to be rude. Uh, I enjoy the fun that they have, but they're not very good. <laughs> and there are some more inner city schools that we play against who have cheerleading squads that clearly are better. Well, they, they can spin on their heads and stuff like that. Oh, they do great gymnastics, but mostly it's in the chance. Ours is all this really base 4-4. We are the school. We're going to be cool. <laughs> It's like this really lame 4-4. And these other schools are just like, we bounce and sass and kick your ass and we're going to drive you into the grass. <laughs> you can't have a small Catholic school doing that, man. It's true. I'm saying, I just don't think the 12 stages of the cross suit cheerleaders. <laughs> did they win? Oh, yeah. We're actually a very good team. So we did win. Uh, we defeated the opposite team. I believe the final score was 72 to 24. Oh, that's good. Uh, so, but I always, you know, what's fun in, uh, American sport is they're very careful about the mercy rule, uh, which we, you know, Australia, I, I had to actually adjust. I remember specifically adjusting to the fact that Australian sports never let up. If you're beating the team by a hundred points, you try to score 10 more. Hmm. Well, there must Whereas, be some occasions when they use the mercy rule. I, I don't know. Maybe at youth level, but I'm just saying the general Australian understanding, and it's actually quite fine if both teams understand it. If everyone knows you're just going to score as crazy as you can, then nobody really gets offended. Whereas there are oftentimes uh, fights in American sport where the other team runs the score up and it's, you know, makes the other team look bad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's like this etiquette keeping it down. So this, in this game, they actually start subbing in all the lowest guys. Like, to make mercy, they just say, look, we're going to put in our five most terrible players. <laughs> Tommy, come down shoot. from the stands. <laughs> That's right. And starting in center. Just before you go, you know, what? it does sound from this distance that Trump is just absolutely 
unstoppable at this point that he regards the thing that the the the, uh, the impeachment judgment as vind total vindication. He's you know uh, he, he's he's confident about the economy. He sees the the mess the Democrats made in Iowa, and he just he can't believe his luck. It does seem like we are in some cartoon alternative universe that I do not understand. Uh, the fact that President Trump was at a prayer meeting today speaking of hypocrisy seemed like the most hypocritical thing I could imagine. <laughs> Donald Trump at a prayer meeting <laughs> in itself is completely hypocritical. Uh, the bus was aghast. All of my political bus mates aghast at Nancy Pelosi's act of tearing up the State of the Union address behind him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm starting to think, here's my new theory, is that America can't concentrate for more than four hours. Because that's instantly was all the news cycle. All we talked about was how petty Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats must be. And, then, and you're thinking, well, was that more petty than strong-arming Ukraine? <laughs> and also, he didn't. He she kind of did that partly because he refused to shake her hand, right? But that was maybe well, that was a minute before, <laughs> so right when we would have. If she had not torn it up, we'd have spent four minutes talking about how crappy he was for not shaking her hand. Yeah. But so because it's... she tore it up straight after, we instantly forget that. And then, of course, now the news cycles have people talking about how by tearing the paper, what she was really doing was ruining America. She was discounting every good thing America's ever done. Hmm. <laughs> it escalates. Everything is a nuclear bomb in this country. <laughs> Someone said to me yesterday, uh, Ellen Fanning said to me yesterday, that there'd been some poll in America where they asked Republicans, would this country be better off if all the Democrats just died? And they asked the same question of the other side. And I think it's right, 16% of Republicans said it would be better if the America would be a better place if all the Democrats died and 20% of Democrats said the same thing as the Republicans. They want them to die. Yeah, it's pretty divisive. Um, but I, <laughs> I'm starting to think that I agree with both sides. Yeah. And then only the independents would be left. <laughs> We'd be fine. But yeah, but it's gruesome. It is gruesome how completely partisan it has become to the point where there's, there's, no, there's no logical argument anymore. Right. Well, like this, my same my same buddies on the bus will be mad tomorrow that Trump ordered the wrong thing at the prayer breakfast. But aren't they your mates on the bus are basically pro Trump, right? Oh yeah, generally speaking, because he's got the economy running, and um, yeah, can't, can't be running can't be running that well for them, or they wouldn't be on the bus, Tommy. They don't seem to understand. I tried to point that out to them. Uh, but I have the same problem. You know, my mom uh, raises money for the Republican Party in general, but thus President Trump by association. Uh, she works very hard to raise money for the Republican cause and donates a lot of her very own money. Uh, thus that I have been inventing crises uh, that are happening here to get her to loan me money so she doesn't have money to give to the Republicans. Yeah. It's your contribution to America's political it's my future. my contribution to America. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to borrow against my inheritance to make sure... She doesn't fund his re-election campaign. Dear mum, no man, your son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Tommy, we'll talk next week, but in the meantime, no more gags in the stands, huh? No, it would certainly not be. I am just going to rah, rah, rah. Oh, yeah, also, put your hand over your heart during the national anthem. 
you missed, uh, you forgot to do that, did you? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I got glared at. Uh, also, take your hat off. <laughs> All I can say is poor Asher. <laughs> poor Asher. <laughs> Good. See you next week, Tommy. Next week. There you go. That was Special Letter from America with Tommy Dean. And there'll be another Letter from America with Tommy Dean this time next week. You're listening to ABC Radio Sydney.